All right, you may be seated. Uh, just want to say that every time Sean carries both of those girls, I'm just so impressed uh, that he can do that. But uh, okay, so we have children's church and nursery regularly for our church families. We have a lot of kids here today that aren't, that aren't normally here that are visiting here with us due to the baptism. You guys are welcome to check that out, but there's no pressure to do so. Some parents do, some parents don't. And one of the most joyful sounds that you can hear in a church congregation is kind of kids not knowing how to behave within a service because that means that that church has life. That means that there's another generation of kids coming up. So if you prefer to keep your kids in here with you, that's wonderful. We also have cry rooms if that's helpful. But what, what I don't want to happen is for anybody to feel weird about any element of any behavior of their kids, okay? So we're we are happier here, we're happier kids here. Uh, just wanna make that clear. I don't know if I said that my name is Brent Fugate. I'm the senior pastor here at Byfield Parish Church. Uh, it's a pleasure to have all of you here with us today, both of you, both those of you that are uh, visiting here with us today and those of you that are consistently worshiping with us. This summer at Byfield, we've been going through a sermon series where we have looked at the different times that Jesus quoted from the Old Testament in his life and ministry. And this Sunday is the final Sunday of that sermon series. And we're going to look at the final time Jesus quoted from the Old Testament. So if you would like, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. We're gonna read verses 45 through 50. Those verses will also be projected in the screen behind me, or you can look in the Pew Bibles on page 783 if you prefer to do that. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 45. Hear the word of the Lord. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Amen, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The final words, the gospel of Matthew records Jesus speaking before his death are haunting. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus has been hanging on the cross for around four hours. The physical abuse he underwent prior to the cross was tremendous. Roman soldiers had beaten him to a bloody pulp, a crown of thorns was placed upon his head. 
He had been whipped to within an inch of his life. This torture is taking place after a sleepless night. While what took place prior to the cross was terrible, the cross takes the suffering to another level. Normally, the cross killed people through a slow process of suffocation. To breathe, a person hanging from a cross would have to pull themselves up with their arms and push themselves up with their legs. There was no sleeping on the cross, no rest. Eventually, the victim would get so physically spent, their arms and legs would cramp, they would die of exhaustion. Jesus gets nailed to the cross, which means every time he has to pull up to keep from suffocating, the anchor points he is using to do so are the nails that have been driven through his body. In talking about the horrors of what Jesus experienced on the cross, Christians frequently focus on the physical suffering. The physical suffering Jesus experienced was certainly horrific. A focus on the physical has sometimes led to debates about how death on the cross compares to other terrible forms of capital punishment. One website that describes different ways people were executed in antiquity lists crucifixion as the eighth worst. I will not share any of the details of the forms of killing that are listed as worse, but they do reflect the evil that humanity is capable of. Even some of the ways that the disciples that followed Jesus were killed sound physically worse than what happened to Jesus. You may have heard that the apostle Peter was crucified upside down. There are contradictory reports from history about the manner in which the different disciples were martyred. Some of these possibilities sound even more undesirable than the cross. Jesus' physical suffering, while great, was exacerbated by his situation. Due to the cruel and unusual level of punishment the cross inflicted, it was a form of capital punishment reserved by the Roman government for only the worst offenses. Jesus received this penalty at the demand of the crowd the Jewish leaders had stirred up against him. This was part of a conspiracy they had worked out ahead of time. The religious leaders' hate for Jesus was so overwhelming, they just didn't want him dead and gone. They wanted him to suffer. For this to happen, the Roman political leaders had to go on as well. They did so not because they agreed with the religious leaders, but because they were too apathetic to resist. Recognizing the injustice of sending Jesus to die on the cross, Pilate asked, why? What evil has he done? 
before agreeing to sign off on the crucifixion. Jesus was innocent. He had done nothing deserving death. The crucifixion was not a penalty for a crime. It was premeditated murder using the state as a weapon. In the midst of the physical pain and political injustice that Jesus is experiencing on the cross, there is little solace for him. The crowds that had followed him previously have melted away. The week before, thousands were calling out his name. They chanted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When the crowds were asked by others in Jerusalem who Jesus was, they answered, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now the crowds that praised Jesus are nowhere to be found. Even worse, those he invested in the most, the ones he called friends and family, have fled. Judas, the disciple that betrayed him, has already killed himself. Peter has denied and abandoned him. The other disciples, except for John, are nowhere to be found. Besides John, only his mother and a few other women are present to watch him slowly die hanging naked on the cross. Jesus' life work appears to be in shambles. There's no reason to expect that he will be remembered by anyone but a very small group. This is the situation Jesus is in on the cross when he cries, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? In attempting to relate to what Jesus is experiencing on some level, we might think about times where we have felt similarly. It's a relatively common experience, although you don't, you don't really talk about it in polite company, to feel abandoned by God when faced with a particularly difficult circumstance. At one time or another, most people in this room have wondered where God is. Physical pain causes some to cry out. A relational breakdown is too much to bear. In these moments of duress, we feel abandoned and alone. If you've been a Christian long enough, you have probably experienced one of these dark nights of the soul. There's a famous Christian poem called Footprints that many of you might be familiar with. It describes a man looking back over his life, walking with Jesus through the metaphor of a sandy beach. The man notices that the most difficult times in his life, there is only one set of footprints in the sand. And he asked Jesus why Jesus abandoned him in his worst moments. Jesus responds that it was at those difficult times that the man was carried by Jesus. This is a comforting thought for us when we suffer, that God 
is with us in the midst of our worst struggles. It's comforting, but it's, it's not what is happening as Jesus hangs dying on the cross. Jesus doesn't just feel abandoned. He has been forsaken. R.C. Sproul writes in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew that God had forsaken him because he must forsake sin. God turned away from Jesus, his son, at this moment when the sins of the world, when our sins are being placed on him. It is worth noting here that Matthew records Jesus' words in Aramaic. This is the only time in Scripture that we have a direct, untranslated recording of Jesus' words. Jesus spoke Aramaic in his everyday life while Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all written in Greek. Matthew records what Jesus says in Aramaic and then immediately tells us what it means in Greek. I believe he does so because these words capture the absolute anguish that consumed Jesus in this moment. The despair Jesus felt on the cross is difficult for us to wrap our minds around. Jesus' existence was tied to God's presence in a way that is hard for us to conceive. We don't experience God completely. God is always with us. We exist in his presence. We have flashes of awareness of God. Our experience of God is limited by our own shortcomings, our own sin. Jesus did not experience this division. Jesus and the Father are one. Throughout his life, Jesus has had a constant awareness of God's continual presence. There has been no separation. In this moment, which is the worst possible moment of Jesus' life, the unity Jesus has had with God disappears completely. He is dropping into an abyss of spiritual silence. The quietest place in the world is located at Orfield Labs in Minnesota. It's a soundproof room that is so silent, the sound level is actually measured in negative decibels. The quieter a place is, the more a person's hearing will adjust. Those who have spent time in this room that report that within minutes, they can hear their own hearts beating. They can hear air passing through their lungs and their stomachs gurgling. The longest anyone has ever lasted in this room of silence is 45 minutes. Even when we are not fully aware, God's presence is in the background of our experience. 
we don't realize it is keeping us tethered to reality. Jesus is experiencing an absolute spiritual silence. The total absence of God, that is why he cries out. Being forsaken by God on this earth is an experience that only Jesus has had on the cross. It is a literal living hell that surpasses any physical suffering imaginable. Jesus experienced unimaginable spiritual and emotional pain on the cross. That is why he cried out. John Stott in his book, The Cross of Christ, writes, Jesus was absolutely alone, being now also God forsaken, as Calvin put it. If Christ had died only a bodily death, it would have been ineffectual. Unless his soul shared in the punishment, he would have been the redeemer of bodies alone. In consequence, he paid a greater and more excellent price in suffering in his soul the terrible torments of a condemned and forsaken man. This is a level of duress no person has experienced before or since. Jesus' suffering was complete. In this moment of horrific physical suffering and complete spiritual anguish, Jesus cries out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus' cry expresses what he is feeling in that moment. At the same time, it clings to hope. When Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is quoting from Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? What the psalm goes on to say is what Jesus did not have the strength to speak with his dying words. He is using this quotation to connect to the larger narrative of the Bible, which Psalm 22 describes. I'm gonna read all of Psalm 22 now. As I do so, I want you to consider its connections to Jesus Christ on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breast. 
On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breath. My breast, my heart is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship Before him shall bow down and go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That he has done it. Those words are a better sermon than I could ever preach. They are prophetic. They are the gospel summed up in a poem written down a thousand years before Jesus was nailed to the cross. Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is not what it seems. Yes, Jesus is suffering tremendously. He has been forsaken by God. Those who desire his destruction have encircled him. They mock and wag their heads. Jesus' bones are out of joint, his heart melting like wax. The full context of the psalm is not a denial of what Jesus is experiencing. Instead, it is a recognition that God is still holy. He is at work. God has not forsaken Jesus' forever. Jesus is afflicted, but God has not despised the affliction 
of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him forever, but has heard him when he cried to him. This has implications not just for Jesus, but for us. Jesus took the affliction, our sin warranted upon himself. The afflicted, which includes all who look to Jesus in faith, shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. Jesus reigns as the Lord, the psalm describes, the ends of the earth will turn to him. He will rule over nations. Line after line of Psalm 22 pierces the soul. This would be true even if Jesus had never referenced it. The fact Jesus quotes it in the, moments, in the moment of his greatest anguish is almost too much to fathom. There is so much of, that is unbelievable about this. Of all the lines in the psalm that really get me, the final words blow me away the most. Verse 30 and 31 say, posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he, that he has done it. Jesus, through the cross, has done it. He has done all that Psalm 22 describes. Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? is a moment of unimaginable sadness. It should break our hearts. It is also through that moment that Jesus Christ did what he set out to do. He has done it. On the cross, he established his reign. He redeemed his people. He paid the price for sin. He overcame death. The question Jesus posed in his suffering is a question that he knew the answer to as well. He has done it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you would be with everyone in this room today. This is a, this is a hard sermon. It's hard to think about Jesus Christ, the Lord of the earth, God made flesh, suffering, suffering to overcome the evil and brokenness of this world, suffering on our behalf, Lord. I pray that in that suffering, that we would see your grace and your redemption, that we would see the love that God has for each of us. I ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.